This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. Welcome to the Female Red Zone. This is Mary Beth Kosmeski. Today I'm interviewing Janet Salazar. She is a social innovator, human potential activist, global thinker, and a humanist. She is the CEO and co-founder of Impact Leadership 21, which is a global leadership platform that provides solutions to creating inclusive economies. She's also a serial entrepreneur. She's run businesses and started them. She also serves as the permanent representative to the United Nations and permanent observer to the ECOSOC at Foundation for the Support of the United Nations, an international NGO in general consultative status with the UN. So she is just not only here in the United States, but internationally making change, doing some wonderful things. And I am so excited to have Janet on the show today. Uh, thanks, Maribet, for having me uh, on your um, podcast. I am very excited and thrilled and I'm truly honored to be um, um, part of your program. Thank you again. Well, it is my pleasure. So in some of the work that you do, talk about the work that you do as a, uh, or what, what's entailed with being a permanent representative to the United Nations. Right. So, um, yeah, I've held this uh, position since 2006. That's the first time I was at the United Nations. And what it entails as a permanent and chief representative is um, being able to be a, a large voice for the civil society inside the United Nations. So I pretty much represent our foundation to critical and important conferences and um, uh, uh, forming of policies, you know, that are implemented um, with the 193 countries at the United Nations, um, pretty much um, amplifying the, the voice of the civil society in in relation to the global initiatives and projects that the United Nations are implementing around the world. So it's, it's a very, very important um, uh, job that I do because it allows me to be a voice of uh, the thousands of nonprofit organizations you know, around the world that are accredited to the UN that are otherwise will not have that extent of representation um, you know, at the United Nations. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, what kind of things are you the voice for in terms of these um, organizations that you're the voice of? Well, first and foremost, um, I've always been an advocate for women. Uh, you know, whether that is in leadership, uh, entrepreneurship, access to education, etc. So, um, the, my foundation is huge on women's economic as well, um, and so that's the main issue, um, you know, that I I am very much an active voice at the United Nations, and um, of course human rights. Um, when we 
had the Millennium Development Goals for the last 15 years. Um, you know, I was very active in that, and uh, our foundation had that, you know, at the front of our projects as well, uh, all over Asia and the United States. Right now, we are focused on the brand new Sustainable Development Goals. Um, I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, you know, they, they also call it the Global Goals. Um, which is a more comprehensive, more encompassing um, version of the Millennium Development Goals. So this is a 15-year time frame to solve the global issues of the world, ranging from poverty eradication, um, uh, primary education for all, um, women's rights, which is very important, um, global health, water, um, you know, uh, climate change and all these things, and of course, the partnership between private and public sector. So this is now the focus of of um, the, the conversations that we're having at the United Nations. And for me, as one of the voices, you know, representing the civil society, um, my my job is now around the 17 sustainable development goals of the United Nations for the next 15 years it's going to be like this because this is going to be uh, the time frame is until 2030. So it is yeah. a so, it is a long-term <laughs> process to um, yeah. your involvement is yes. Yeah the next 15 years it's going to be around these global issues and I think that for the first time you know um, there there's actually a United Nations-led um, initiative that are being embraced and that are being funded and that are being participated upon by the private sector. When when the Sustainable Development Goals was launched just uh, less than a year ago, um, you know it was such a huge success in terms of uh, support from the private sector, from the artists of the world, et cetera. So I think that there is a huge progress compared to the Millennium Development Goals that we've had prior to this. Very interesting um, and, and incredible work that you're doing. Thank you. The other thing is, you know, if you look at, if someone was to look at your career, and this is one of the things that I did um, when I first met you and, and thinking about all the things that you've done is, you know, how did you get to, to where you're at? Sort of take us back a little bit into um, how you got here and doing what you're doing and how um, this all sort of started. <laughs> okay. Um, thanks, Maribel. So, yeah, so I grew up in the Philippines born and bred, um, educated, but as, um, as everybody uh, is aware of, the Philippine education system is so much patterned around um, the U.S. education system as well. So um, needless to say, you know, the literacy rate in the Philippines is really, really one of the top in the world. So um, for me, I, I just really wanted to acknowledge and say that I was very fortunate to be able to, you know, um, to be a product of uh, a really excellent education system in the Philippines. So um, I started young. Uh, my mother um, was widowed when she was 22 and I was five. So I guess, you know, after that I was her right hand um, running her business. She comes from a family of caterers. So I was helping her. I remember helping her uh, as early as I was seven, helping her in her business, um, 
you know, growing the restaurant, et cetera. So I got a sense of responsibility and leadership and the, like a take on, um, you know, spirit at such an early age. And I have, you know, I took that with me growing up and into my college. I've always been entrepreneurial. Um, and I was also very active in campus. Um, my first career started with um, marketing and management uh, in the Philippines. And then um, when I uh, decided to um, migrate to the United States um, to be with my partner, CJ, the then chairman of the Philippine chapter of the Foundation of the Support of the United Nations asked me if I wanted to represent the foundation at the United Nations. And that time, you know, where you're only allowed like four years term to be representative, and I said that's such a short time if you want me to devote resources and my time to represent all these issues, civil society, be a civil society voice to you, and I said, so I negotiated for it. I said, if you make me your permanent representative, meaning that I do not have any, you know, any um, deadline, any term, right? Mm -hmm. You know, being a representative at the UN, I said, I'll take it. You don't have to give me salary, you know, because I mean, it's a, yeah, it's foundation, and then a lot of the a lot of the funding are diverted back to the project. So I said, but make me a permanent representative. He called the Tokyo headquarters. Tokyo headquarters did not have a choice, I guess, but to say yes, because at that time they were really desperate to look for, you know, somebody who can do the job and who will be based in New York. So I got the job. <laughs> I didn't know you could negotiate <laughs> with the UN, you know. <laughs> yes. So I, yeah, I got appointed in 20, look, late 2005. So uh, by 2006, um, I yeah I um, I, I uh, flew into the United States and uh, my first day at the United Nations in that official capacity was I I, I remember very well September 5, and that was a start as well. That that started you know um, everything for me in terms of the my eyes being opened to, you know, such a huge gap in leadership. I guess that was like the highest level of leadership right there inside the UN through the couple of years, you know, that I, I my first years there, I saw the huge gap between men and women when it comes to leadership, top leadership. When I came in, there were only 21 female ambassadors at the UN out of 193 nations. That was in a mere 11%, 11.8%. Now, fast forward, we have, we're 10 years now, right, since I was there. We now have 33 female ambassadors out of 193. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was a slow progress, but it's a progress, but it's slow. So to me that was you know unacceptable, and so I told my my you know, my fellow uh, UN representatives and a lot of the ambassadors that I've met, both men and women, men who are supportive of women's leadership, and uh, a lot of the UN entity leaders. I talked to them. I said, you know, we there's gotta be something that we could do more. And so this was the beginning of brainstorming around launching a platform to support that vision 
And so in December 12 of 2012, we launched Impact Leadership 21, which is now pretty much the half of the hat that I wear, um, majorly being the CEO and co-founder, Impact Leadership 21. So that's three and a half years ago. And all that because of my firsthand exposure at the United Nations, having, you know, having this knowledge of how marginalized women are really uh, specifically in leadership. And that's my heart, that's my passion, it's all about um, leadership because I believe that the changes that need to happen has to come, has to come from conscious decision from leadership. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And it's a passion of mine as well, which is why we connected when we met. But uh, yeah. I have a foundation yeah. um, called the Red Zone Leadership Foundation, and it's really about um, women leadership and, and finding and cultivating more women leaders. And one of the things that, it, you know, so my passion, we've done research about, it, I've got a foundation, but I heard you talking yeah. about uh, your real mission of engaging men in leadership roles to yeah. accelerate women's leadership. And I am uh, in a hundred percent agreement that men have to be part of the, of the solution in order to make sure that women are in the places that they should be. And you call this conversations with men. Can you talk about this initiative that you've got uh, this mission called conversations with men? Oh yes, absolutely. And thank you for um, asking about this. You know, this is my baby. So I'm always excited to talk about this, yeah. So what happened was when we launched Impact Leadership 21 uh, via a summit, it was a very successful summit in 12, 12 so followed by a, another big one um, a couple of months after that. Uh, there was like a mix of, say, 90% women and 10% men in the room, right? So I sat there after that, and I said, you know what, the reason why I launched Impact Leadership 21 is to have something that's different and it's not just another women's conference where everybody in, where, while they're inside is so excited and then after that when we all get out of that door it all flies out and nothing happens and you know and the needle doesn't move the way we wanted it to be there's gotta be because it's like preaching to the choir right Right, so, and that the, the very thing that I told myself, I'm I'm not gonna, you know, attend a lot of this anymore because it's just the same thing and nothing is happening. I did not want that to happen for Impact Leadership 21. That was not my vision, and I said, there's got to be a better way for us to do this, you know. And so I started a couple of days after that. I started talking again to my advisors and mentors and friends in the leadership arena. And I said, you know what, based on my own personal experience, I have a very healthy balance of male and female in leadership that have mentored me, are mentoring me, are supporting me, and are with me, even when I was younger up to now that I, you know, I am moving into this leadership circle. So I said, you know what, why don't we do that? Why don't we have conversations with men? Let's invite men, a few men in leadership roles, let's put them up there and in a forum style, let's, you know, let's provide a safe environment with men and women to just be able to openly and candidly discuss and communicate their issues, their hidden biases, their challenges, 
when it comes to communication, communicating with each other in that leadership realm and what could we do so that we understand each other and we all agree that, you know, the issues that we need to move forward with, such as women's parity and, you know, economic empowerment, is something that is larger than just being men and being women, you know? And so everybody got excited and they said it makes a lot of sense. And so I started writing, you know, calling all my male, my male colleagues, um, friends and supporters and mentors. And so we, in April 23rd of 2013, in partnership with the New York Times and Tokyo and IBM, we launched the first Conversations with Men Forum. And really the goal is that, you know, to engage men, um, authentically to, to engage them to to become champions for women's leadership and to achieve a gender parity at the top level. But more than that is to be ambassadors with or to their fellow men, you know, in realizing and raising awareness of the economic impact, the positive economic impact of having female in leadership with equal, in equal footing with men. Yep. So that's, that's, yeah, that's the idea behind that. It's the principle behind that. And, you know, we to date, we have, a, we have um, hosted 14 forums. Uh, we've taken it to Tokyo. We went to Puerto Rico to launch it at the California Women's Conference. And right now our, our strategy is, we're taking it for industry because the, the U.S. is such a big economy, right? And so there's no one language that, you know, that's spoken across all industries. Every industry has a specific, and as you know, has a specific culture and leadership language. Yes. And so we started with the industry, Wall Street and Finance, um, in December 8th last year, and this is again in partnership with the New York Times and IBM and Microsoft, and it was very successful. So now we are um, scheduled to do two industries. So in October 25, um, rather October 18, we're doing conversations with men in tech and innovation in Silicon Valley. And then in December 12, uh, which is our fourth year anniversary, we're doing conversations with men in impact investing and women's access to capital, which is I'm so excited about. Oh, I think this is just, it's its amazing <laughs> that you're doing this. And it's, you know, it's one of the things that um, it's almost obvious, but not really to most people, because if we really want change, and I interviewed on the show Margaret Heffernan, and she was talking about the research that she's done on diversity inside of industries and inside of corporations. And what she found mm -hmm. is that when there was uh, a white man who was in charge mm -hmm. of diversity inside of an organization, people didn't look at it like if there was a woman running it. It, it almost seems like she's got some skin in the game or she has, it's her own issue. But if a man is running it, mm -hmm. it's not his issue. He's taken this issue on. And she says that it's much more impactful when you have a voice for you as opposed to you being the voice. And if you think about that, yeah. it, it just it yeah. makes a lot of sense. However, if you look yeah. at these corporations, they have someone who is, you know, who's speaking for themselves and for those that look and sound like them. And 
Uh, one of the, you know, I, and I'm in this in the same ballpark because I it, I'm in financial services and I speak a lot mm-hmm. to financial audiences and you know financial services has an issue with uh, not having enough women and it's a it's a big topic of conversation and so there's a lot of women's conferences and I'm asked to speak at these women's conferences and I'm happy to speak at them but it's exactly what you said Janet it's we we come in we're all excited all this women together women power we're wonderful it's awesome we're charged up we go back to the office and the same stuff is happening and I feel like I'm accelerating the issue by even speaking at the conferences I love them but it's not the kind of change that you're talking about with conversations with men. Yeah. It's a lot of ways of energy time when you're preaching to the choir. Right. You know? Right. You have to reach out to the other, to the other side of the aisle because you know what? The way that we are right now, and this is still going to be for, what, the next 10, 20 years or so, unless it really gets accelerated and very positive it will be accelerated. But the truth of the matter is, right now, right here, corporate America is still structured around men, male leadership, business access to capital, etc. It's still structured around male leadership, and you know this because you're in finance and equity, and you have this background. Government leadership is still structured majorly around male leadership, right? So what do you do to take advantage of that? What do you do to leverage that reality? Common sense, you've got to engage them. They have to know what women bring to the table. It's not a matter of a token position or a token salary increase or no, right? It's a matter of the economics, you know, the economic impact that women bring to the table. And that's what we want more and more male in leadership positions to see. I mean, I'm so happy that a lot of them now are out there advocating for this, you know, um, uh, being part of the, this, what I call, this is one of the movements that really needs to accelerate big time now and for the next 10 years, just to engage these men who are still on top of the decision-making, uh, uh, the, the highest decision-making table, whether we like it or not. You know, so there's an opportunity. It's not a, it's not a, you know, it's not something to be looked at and magnified as, you know, like to remain like that. No, you can change that. And how do you change that? If you make them aware, you know, you make these men in leadership positions understand, right? Right. Because I don't you know think where it's women are coming from. They're, they're not necessarily doing it because they don't want women in leadership positions. It's just they're doing things the way they've done them for a long time. And we hire people that are like mm-hmm. us. We promote people that are like us. It's just, it, it's it's kind of human nature, but you said it exactly right. It's awareness. And that's where yeah. these conversations with men are having impact because the men are becoming more aware to what's happening um, around them. And, you know, the other thing is I, I hear a lot about diversity issues is that, you know, it's sort of like an entitlement. Well, you need to have more women, so let's pull out the binders of women that we have and let's find some women to hire. And it's really, it's not about that. It's about, um, it's about always hiring the, the best people for the position, yeah. but, but looking um, in, in a different way, not always in the same way that we always have for the kinds of people that we're going to have in our leadership. 
Yeah, because it's not gonna work. It's no longer, you know, gonna work like that. The world is changing so fast, right? More and more people, more and more uh, graduates, high high potential graduates from top universities, right? Based on study, these millennials, they're looking at companies right now where you know they want to they want to work with and and use their their global skills, etc. They're looking at the diversity and inclusion practices of these companies. They're looking at how many women are there. You know, more and more young people are becoming more aware of what's really important. For them to invest their talents, for them to invest their time, their career, right? right. And so right. now companies are making, you know, becoming more and more attuned to that. It's, you know, it's 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 a baby step that needs to happen, I guess. But it is happening. It's a positive, um, you know, uh, direction. But more work needs to be done. And so going back to conversations with men. Yes, the forum, you know, the forum's aim is to raise that awareness to the stratosphere, but also after that, you know, awareness needs to translate into action. And so with conversations with men, you know, we uh, we have um, created and designed a program called Gender Attunement Group Coaching, where after the companies hear us talk in a forum and conversations with men and they if they want to take that to the next level, engaging their employees, they go to this workshop they call gender attunement group coaching, where we have, you know, we group six and six together in one room, this the executives, and they just freely and openly talk about their issues between genders and it's been so successful. That's amazing. I I've been at conferences where they've tried to uh have that part of the process and you know, in that we want to have conversations, they don't call it conversations with men, but we want to have conversations about what's happening in, in gender diversity issues. And we want to have them on both sides of the aisle with men and women. And in many cases at the conferences I've been at where they've tried to have these interactive conversations, the men didn't necessarily participate because I think in some cases, again, they don't think it's their issue. This is women. Women are going to go and deal with their own issues. But you're, you're at the forefront of really getting the men to be a part of this conversation and understanding it yeah. from the highest level. I mean, you're going to be in Silicon Valley talking about this. I mean, this is really yeah. um, some groundbreaking, even though, like I said in the beginning, it's kind of obvious we, we really should have this conversation, not just with women, uh, but with men as well. We Women, we know what the issues are. We're trying to find some solutions and we're trying to do it in a way that, that doesn't buck every single trend and, and we don't want to fight. We just We just want to be looked at equally. So... Yes, and what's good for everyone. Because you know what, Mary Beth, at the end of the day, and this is where my, you know, this is where my being a diplomat and being a humanitarian comes in. At the end of the day, it really boils down to humanity, being human. There's no gender. You know what I mean? And leadership, at one, you know, my dream, one of my vision and my dream is to really, uh, you know, one day we just view leadership as leadership period. There's no women leadership. You, know, you don't say men's leadership, right? We right. don't do that. There's but no you men's say women's leadership. Yeah, exactly. You don't say men's leadership. No, it's leadership. But with women, you say women's leadership. Why, right? I mean, leadership is leadership. But, you know, up until the point where we... We're to equal footing together. It, it, there will always be the term called women's leadership, and I don't like it, quite frankly, because leadership is leadership no matter what. That's exactly right. Now, sure. to, talk about your book on the same topic. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm I'm writing the first book on conversations with men, and it's 
pretty much accelerating and championing equal footing with women. So that's the title of the book, Conversations with Men, Accelerating and Championing Equal Footing with Women. So it's a narrative style book. Um, you know, I, I've interviewed, I'm mean, still in the process of um, interviewing the remainder of the influential men that I've invited to be part of this book. So there's quite a few uh, um, really um, game-changing questions that I've, you know, I, I threw out them out there for them, and 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 uh, so far I've gotten some really breakthrough answers, like eye openers from these male influencers that are part of the book. And so the the first goal, the goal of this first edition, the Conversations with Men book, is to raise that awareness in leadership. Again, right? It's like taking everything we do is like a, a elementary, right? It, we we start a nursery, elementary, and high school and college. So same thing with this issue of raising awareness as far as engaging men, right? You know, we we treat it a very elementary level, and so when men and women get to read the book and they, you know, they hear from these influential men who who gets it, who who has been, you know, champions for women in leadership position and gender parity and all that stuff, I think that it will give a lot of pearls, a lot of enlightenment out there to, you know, want to be on board and, you know, become part of this important uh, conversation and collaboration between men and women. I'm so happy to have that we had you on the show today because uh, these are these are topics, and your take on the topics. We well, are topics we talk about, but your take on these topics is innovative. It's unique. I love it. I love conversations with men, and I am looking forward to reading the book. So, Janet, how can people get? A, yeah, you're welcome. How can people get a hold of you? Social media, the web. Give us some of your information. Right. Thank you. So, um, my company's website, ImpactLeadership21.com. So the number 21, impactleadership21.com, and I also have my own personal website, janetcsalazar.com. It's a more comprehensive uh, site, you know, to get to know me more in what I do, um, both in business and humanitarian work. And then um, you can follow me on social media, Janet C. Salazar. I'm on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram. Very active in Twitter. I do not have a Facebook account, so please don't find me. Don't look for me on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, it's a personal choice. I do not have a Facebook account. My company, um, nevertheless, has a Facebook account, impactleadership21.com. And, um, of course, you can always email me. If you go to the website, canitbsalaber.com, my email address is there. Well, wonderful. Janet, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. I look forward to following the things that you're doing in your career as a diplomat and humanitarian moving forward and all the good work you're doing uh, with uh, men and women and us finding some parity there. Thank you, Meredith, for having me. I'm truly honored. And uh, um, yeah, let's move forward powerfully together. Absolutely. Look forward to being with you again soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And from the Female Red Zone, this is Mary Beth Kosmeski. Thanks for listening to the Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.